Welcome to the Wednesday edition of Unexpected Points. We're going to talk draft prognostication with Matthew Freeman of Fantasy Pros and Betting Pros. Also going to get a little bit into the Debo Samuel news today and maybe hit a few mailbag questions if we have time. That's all this on Unexpected Points. Alrighty, alrighty. I am joined by longtime friend. When you consider, not that many people have been in this business for for a long time. Matthew Freeman. I was giving him a hard time um, as we got on here about the fact that he was begging me, you know, just pleading with me to have him on the show here. So I capitulated. Um, I almost messed up who you're working for now too, because you have a new job every single time I see you. I think. That, that is accurate. By the way, that intro feels like it takes so long to get through. Part of it is because I'm uh, a sociopath and I listen to podcasts at 3x speed. So that is definitely part of it. But that intro felt really, really long, the intro music. Yeah, you know what's weird is when, because I, I, I don't do, okay, th- three, yeah, three, you're, you're legitimately a sociopath. If you're listening to it that that quickly, I think I do one and a half. And whenever I hear the music, I realize how slow it must be in real speed when i'm listening to it and it sounds yeah. a little bit a little bit slow at the same time or how slow people must be speaking sometimes and enunciating yeah. so well do you think and i wonder about this sometimes do you think when you are doing a podcast you speak too quickly because you're used to hearing people come through so quickly on your 3x speed Kevin, no one has ever accused me of speaking too quickly. Okay, I, I am a notorious slow talker. Also, I will say on the last pod you did with Rebar, that one I had to tone down to 2x because there's no way that anyone can listen to Rebar and comprehend what he's saying at 3x speed. Yeah, yeah. He, he gets me a little hyped up too. I think it might be like one of those positive, negative feedback loops, whatever you call it, but it, depending on which directionality you want to say there, that we both start talking so quickly. So yeah, that's what we're trying to do here is to make people slow down um, when they're listening. But anyway, Matthew, uh, we are here, I believe, discussing the same thing that we discussed last year, which is the NFL draft and all of the prop action, which is kind of wrapped into a larger discussion about how we think the draft will go down. Before we get into that, I'd be remiss if I didn't at least touch on the news that is shaking the 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 the, the Twitter sphere right now about Debo Samuel officially requesting a trade, which I, I don't know what that means, quite honestly. Like, I guess I, I saying he wants out doesn't necessarily mean he's going to get out. But there's been a little bit of percolating stuff out there with these younger wide receivers now that we're seeing ginormous contracts go to a few different guys this offseason. Do you have any takes for me as to, number one, whether or not the 49ers should fulfill that request if they can, the likelihood of such, all, all that sort of stuff? Uh, yeah, it's all Christian Kirk's fault. I know how you feel about that. No, it's not not at all his fault. Uh, the, the market has been trending in this direction for a little bit. Um, I I don't think they hmm, they probably should trade him because like he's near peak value. He wants more money, so you're going to have to sort of. Get, I mean, if you want to keep him, you're going to have to give it to him uh, yeah. or lose him in a year. Uh, I think trade him now while you can get a first rounder for him. Um, maybe even multiple first rounders for him uh, turn one of those picks into a wide receiver who can work within the Shanahan system and just, you know, 
rinse, wash, repeat. I like, I like Debo Samuel. Like he's a really intriguing player, but that's not to say like he is a one of a kind player. So I think you, I think you trade him. Yeah. And for me, when it comes to these, these situations is I don't think there's a single non quarterback trade that we have seen over the past, I don't know, several years where you can really look back on it and say, oh, wow, that, you know, they that team was forced to get rid of this player and they didn't get good compensation for him. I mean, maybe Jalen Ramsey was probably like really that type of talent, you know, arguably the top cornerback in the NFL type of talent. And it's something that everyone recognized. I mean, he was the number you know five overall pick when he came out. He was, you know, all first team, all pros sort of sort of guy. Uh, Debo Samuel, you're right, isn't necessarily at that level. So uh, to me, it's more about what can they get in a trade. And I'm wondering whether or not the asking price, whatever it may be, it's it's just like the the price that people are willing to give up may have gone down a bit now that the Dolphins are out of the market. So we talk about the Jets as possibly being a team that's left. But the Jet, if the Jets aren't bidding against even another team, then I, I just don't know who's going to make this trade. Every single fan base in the NFL jumps up immediately to say oh let's do it let's let's trade away a first round and second round pick and then pay the guy a ton of money I'm not sure how long the line is for Debo Samuel especially the type of role that he has as this underneath yak receiver where people might say I I see a couple guys in this draft that we can replicate that and then pay them two million dollars a year in the second round yeah so Kevin I know that your future is working in the front office. I just I know that. So let's put on your future front office hat and say you are the person charged of making this decision for the 49ers. What is the lowest level of draft compensation that you are willing to accept in this in this trade? I think even just quote unquote just a first gets it done because then you don't have to worry about the future contract. Yeah, I think so. I mean, it depends on you hear all this rumbling. Is it the money? Is it the usage? What is it all about? I think when the Bills initially gave up a first round pick and then got Stefan Diggs, the reason maybe it wasn't as compelling for the Vikings, and we, we all know what happened, right? They ended up with Justin Jefferson. So that's not going to happen every single time. But the reason maybe wasn't as compelling for the Vikings is that Diggs was on a pretty good contract and while he did get his big payday this year he still played for multiple years on that contract so I guess for Devo it's like your best best case scenario is somehow you don't do a big deal and he plays a year and maybe you franchise tag him and then you do a big deal so yeah I think that that factor alone that you're going to be diving straight into this big contract I don't really see how to avoid it with, with his situation yeah I do think a first round pick would be enough and I know that every you know, everyone's going to think they have a really unique take where they're going to say, well, guess what? Uh, you can't just draft another Debo Samuel with the first round pick. Your chances are like, and they're just going to ignore the contract side of it. But to me, that seems like it's good enough. Now, optically, will it be good enough? And Trey Lance comes in and Trey Lance struggles and it's because you got rid of De- Debo Samuel. All those sorts of things start happening. I'm not sure. But from a pure value standpoint, not having to pay that contract and getting a first round pick sounds like a win to me. Yeah, not having to pay the contract and then getting to throw the ball more to George Kittle. Like, how about that? Because Kittle hasn't been featured enough within that offense. And part of it was because of Debo. Just give Kittle the ball a little bit more. And you have Brandon Ayuk, right? Who's there too. And are you going to be able to keep Kittle, Ayuk, and Debo Samuel all on 
big market deals anyway, right? Like yeah. eventually you may you may look to to move one of those guys anyway. And it's also not like the most wide receiver heavy offense. Clearly every offense in the NFL now you need a couple of capable wide receivers, but it's not, you know, something where they have you can roll some two tight end sets. You can roll out some multiple running back sets in, in that sort of offense. You can put some players in that same role as Debo Samuel. I think maybe we're thinking Debo has a little bit too much value in this hybrid running back role because he had some big runs. And I don't think it's really replicable for him to have that much efficiency as a running back again next year. There isn't something you can necessarily point to about him physically that cannot that that couldn't be fulfilled, I think, by some other very talented running backs. And the dual role is obviously a, a, a big thing there. But again, I'm not sure if NFL front offices are going to view the replaceability factor like you would for Tyreek Hill. Yeah, and how many three wide receiver sets are they going to use when you have Kyle Juszczyk on the field anyway? For right, like exactly. 30, I forgot about, forgot about Juszczyk. But well, you're also yeah. paying too, too much money to. At least you yeah. were paying too much too much money to. I know the cap's moving and everything like that. But yeah, you're also paying Juszczyk, right? And the 49ers being the 49ers, they'll like you know they'll overdraft some some running back and then not play them the the, the entire the the entire season too. So that that'll be their mo for for this year also. Yeah, they've already done that. Uh, it will be Wandell Robinson, who they draft in the second round as the sort of hybrid replacement, the hybrid like running back wide receiver Debo replacement. Yeah, I, 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 I could see something like that happening. OK, so let's we're, we're in agreement here with Debo and let's let's get into the draft stuff. Now that we're talking about who teams may potentially draft the 2021 draft last year's draft will might have been like the most predictable draft in a way. There's, you know, uh, a friend of the show, Josh Norris, who's been trumpeting his, uh, you know, greatest mock draft ever, which is like, it's become like a meta bit now at this point that, that he's so far into it. And the, the re- I think he got 16 of the 32 picks correct somewhere in that, in that neighborhood. So getting yeah. half the picks correct is the greatest mock ever. And that included getting nine of 10 of the first, nine of the, the first 10 picks correct. But I feel like last year there was almost a minimum of maybe four picks that almost anyone was going to get correct in the first ten. This year, you could go over ten to start to, to start the first ten picks, and it doesn't mean you're necessarily a bad, you know, mock drafter. You don't have good information. It's just there's so many equivalent players. I feel like at the top of every position, no one is standing out that much that you can make a case for a lot of different guys here. And the question that I have for you is kind of from a macro perspective, looking at last year's draft versus this year's draft, are there different types of bets that become more attractive in that in that environment? Or is it a similar phenomenon year after year in the types of bets that attract you? So last year, I think there were more bets at the top of the board that I felt comfortable making. So, for instance, like uh, Mac Jones, number three to the uh, to, to the to the 49ers, oh, yeah. which, yeah, I, which, I felt, which, I which, <laughs> which I in a series of events that. led to you being blocked by Adam Schefter eventually, which I liked. It was that that, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that bet, I think, eventually down the road that led, led to you getting blocked by the most important uh, I'll put journalist in quotes, journalist in uh, in uh, uh, NFL media. Yes. So, uh, but yeah, there are just, there are bets at the top of the board last year because of the relative certainty. So for instance, at number four, we knew it was either Kyle Pitts or Jamar Chase. At number five, we knew it was either Jamar Chase or Panay Sewell, right? Like we just kind of had this, this line of like, okay, if not this, then this, and you could sort of see, okay, if the Dolphins 
you know, if they're there, wide receiver available, they're taking him at number six. And you could just sort of see all the way down the line the the truncated possibilities, and that made it easier to bet into that. Um, that isn't the case this year, where it's just wide open, relatively wide open in the top 10. So it means that a lot of the bets, who goes number one, who goes number two, uh, is this team at the top? Are they taking a uh, an offensive tackle or an edge? Like those bets, some of them aren't even available this year because the books haven't put them out there. And then the ones that are available aren't as attractive. But the bets that I still think are pretty actionable this year, same as last year, same as the year before that, a lot of the draft position over-unders. So, you know, Ahmad Gardner, over-under seven and a half, right? Like, because of my methodology uh, and just aggregating mock drafts, you can get a pretty strong sense of the direction for how sharp mocks are looking at that. And even if you make an adjustment for groupthink, you could still find value on a lot of bets like that out there. And then I would also say the totals for different positions, like over under two and a half. Now the number's three and a half at most books, over under three and a half quarterbacks in round one, over under five and a half wide receivers in round one. Uh, you still see almost kind of regardless of where a guy ends up going, if it's number eight or number 15, you still see that guy going in round one in you know, all of the mock drafts and you put enough of them together and you can start to see a lot of value across the board in draft position bets and totals for different positions. Okay. Let me, let me, a couple of questions here. So from a person like myself who, you know, likes to dabble in these things, but probably isn't as focused on you are on really maximizing, you know, positive uh, expected value here. One of my problems is I like to sometimes you know, sprinkle a little something on something that I just want to root for in a way. And normally it's because I like a particular player more than, than the consensus. So I'm getting into this, what would I do? Or maybe even I'm reacting instead of using mock drafts to inform my opinion. I'm like, these guys are idiots and this team would be an idiot if they did X and I would do the opposite. So you know what? Let me sprinkle a little, you know, 20 to one action on, uh, you know, Matt Corral to go in the top 10 court, top 10 picks, because that's maybe what I would do if I was the Panthers and that sort of situation. So do you shut off that part of your brain or do you think there's anything to be gained from thinking what is the smartest move? Because I do believe that NFL front offices are smarter than NFL media. Okay, that's interesting. Uh, I think you're right. Yeah, NFL front offices are smarter than NFL media. Of course, that yeah. doesn't say much for NFL media. <laughs> but uh, the, the question non-Dave about- Gettleman edition, the non-Dave Gettleman edition. Now, now that he's right. now that he's out. The the point about what I think should happen versus what I'm seeing in the mock draft data that is interesting. I will say sometimes it has uh, it has hit me where like. I'm probably too high on Traylon Burks. Like he's my number one wide receiver. Uh, I, I look at the mock draft data and I'm like, okay, there are, there are four guys who are probably going to go ahead of Traylon Burks at his own position. The number five receiver taken. Should I really be this high on him overall before the draft? And it probably impacted the way I was doing my early mocks where I was thinking, all right, screw the early mock draft data. I think Traylon Burks should be in the top two or top three at the position. So I was mocking him there earlier. The thing is, I've learned. I, I was mocking it, but I didn't bet it. You know, And I know that's not necessarily the same thing, 
uh, it's probably not best for me to be putting things out there in mocks that I wouldn't be betting, but Traylon Burks, I just knew special circumstances. But for the most part, I am able to shut off what I would do uh, or like how it is that I'm ranking my board versus how it is that I'm mocking and betting guys in the first round. Okay. So, so that's okay. That, that, that makes sense. And one, you know thing, what, what, sorry, one, one thing to interrupt. Okay. You, go you ahead. Go ahead. You are, you're I the guest. To, you're, you're, you're I'm, I've invited you into my home here. So I, go, continue. I forgot. Please. You mentioned Matt Corral as, uh, <laughs> as top 10. I'm just going to say, okay, the Seahawks at number nine. Yeah. They, they've been too quiet. Like, I don't think they're going to take a quarterback at number nine. If I think they take a quarterback, it's on day two, but it would be the most Seahawks thing ever for almost nobody in the industry to be mocking them with a quarterback at number nine, even though you look at their roster and it makes all the sense in the world for them to take a quarterback at number nine. They don't even have a Sam Darnold, right? Like at least the Panthers can be like, all right, well, we feel comfortable enough with Darnold. We're on the fifth year option. The Seahawks don't even have that excuse. And yet no one is slotting a quarterback to them. And it would be the most Seahawks thing ever in the first round for them to do the one thing that no one anticipates them doing. So you never know. Matt Corral in the top 10. I, I like, I'm not, I'm not betting it. I'm not betting it, but I could see it. Yeah. What's funny. Cause there was a little bit of buzz about that because they, you know, they do these things from the combine where they have them sitting in the, in the, in the stadium stands. It's like, Oh, they're, they're talking, uh, Sean Snyder and uh, Pete Carroll are talking to Matt Corral and things like that. But I do think well, this is maybe the Seahawks angle that we're talking about is again, maybe where I get myself into trouble is when it comes to something like quarterbacks, I'm looking at a lot of these teams and I'm like, well, why wouldn't they take a quarterback? And why would they take a quarterback? And why would they take a quarterback? Because like you're talking about the Seahawks, this is a team that, you know, two years ago was trading away multiple first round picks for Jamal Adams for the like final piece to be a Super Bowl team. And now they're just going to give up and they're not going to try to bring anyone in. And we're just going to have a classic Geno Smith, uh, Drew Locke quarterback battle it, that makes no sense to me but yet you're right no one talks about it no one talks about even like the texans getting a quarterback where i get it they're not doing so well but are they really just going to say we have multiple first round picks early and we're not going to take a shot at someone and we're going to have davis mills as our guy it, I, I don't know i just i'm surprised there aren't more teams that people suspect may take a quarterback when they don't have one yeah, uh, I'm I'm with you there. I really do look forward to the days when you are a general manager and you are taking a quarterback in like the top 100 every draft. Yeah, even when you have your guy, you're just going to be taking the quarterback. And like the there. top 20, the top 20 every. I mean, that's that's part of my like Carolina Panthers thing. Like for me, which, see, I'm just I'm out there, right? So I think. Hey, I'll take a guy at six. Yeah, whatever. I don't have any more picks. And if it doesn't work out, like, and he sucks and we're in the top 10 next year, well, you know what? I'll take another guy. I'll take another guy in the top 10 next year. Like, who cares? You know, like, what's what's the big deal to me? But again, that's not, obviously, that's not the way that everyone ends up ends up thinking. So, okay. So we were talking about that. Can't can't think too much like myself. And by the way, I'm not going to work for an NFL team. I'm too old. Uh, and I'm not, I don't have any loyalty. I have no loyalty. So, uh, to any- plus, plus they won't want to pay you the money that you're worth. Let's be honest. Well, yeah, I mean that that's probably true because I'm 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 a little lazy also, so that also goes into to part of it. That's not so good. We need to change the culture. If we can, if I can find a, like a team that has a new culture of just like you know who cares? We take this guy, we take that guy, you know, and let's let's have the afternoon off. Uh, then then I, I could go for I could go for that sort of thing. All right. So then, then my second thing is you are using quote unquote smart mocks. So obviously you've looked into 
mocks that are focusing more on accuracy versus maybe doing what I'm doing a little too much of, which is like, I believe this should happen or I'm behind the times a bit on my, uh, on my takes or where things are moving. My question is, even when you're, maybe, maybe we'll talk a little bit about how you do that, but then even as part of that process, have you found any sort of like systematic bias in anything, whether it be certain types of receivers, being too low on quarterbacks, being too this, where then you adjust off of those smart mocks and you don't just put them into your to your formula and figuring out your probabilities and going straight off of them. Because I bet there are moves and, you know, I bet there are some biases in different ways. I'm not sure exactly what they are, but there has to be, right? Yeah. So uh, there is a degree of groupthink. So I'm always just, I don't do it uh, within my, my quote unquote model, but I sort of mentally adjust. So if I see like, okay, uh, 80% of the sharp mocks are pointing in this direction, I think, all right, well, maybe the real number there should be like 65%, maybe 70%, but I will always try to build in kind of a, a buffer, a margin of error there. But yes, to the question of, are there biases that I've identified? Yeah. I mean, quarterbacks are overmocked. Uh, which almost kind of goes against what you said of like, I'd be taking a quarterback every time. Like I think uh, people who are doing these mocks tend to have that tendency of identifying how important the quarterback position is in the NFL, thinking this team needs a quarterback and pushing quarterbacks off the board. But in a lot of mocks, even sharp mocks, quarterbacks are pushed too high into round one where routinely we'll see four mocks there and only three go in round one. So quarterbacks uh, really tend to be pushed up the board. Uh, and I will also say, I do think that there tends to be a little bit of a bias towards um, the athletic freaks uh, in mock drafts to where they maybe get pushed up the board a little bit. Uh, so guys who really stand out at the combine, some of those guys do end up going in round one. But often, um, I don't want to say often, but sometimes they will be pushed up too far in, in mock drafts. So I do uh, try to keep some of those things in mind when I'm looking at the sharp mocks, but that's more of like a, an afterwards thing, not anything that I put into the model to kind of manually adjust as it's happening. Okay. Okay. A couple other things. Cause I've been looking at, I don't know if you've seen the ESPN has this probability calculator that they made public on where players may go um, or whether they'll be available by a certain pick. I don't know. Have you seen this by any chance or not? I, I haven't looked at it. Uh, I will look at it and then I will probably never look at it again. <laughs> okay. Yeah. That might be the way to go. I mean, it said Brian Burke, I think has put it out. Burke, you know, he's like a godfather in the analytic, yeah. in an analytic yeah. space. I mean, the, the critique that I would have it, and I think that Burke's even mentioned this, although he may understate it a little bit, is like the overconfidence factor. In it. And there's two different things that I've seen. So I want to see how you think about these two different types of overconfidence. Number one is you can tell by their probabilities that they're looking at mock drafts and they say, well, this player never goes before the eighth pick in these mock drafts. So therefore is they have a pick by pick probability that they'll go. It starts at a hundred percent of the time he'll be there by that eighth pick. And we know that that's not true, right? Like there could be a team that trades up to go get them earlier. There is something on the tails that's being ignored, even if it's not part of the mock draft space. So, so that's number one is just like generally how do we build in more uncertainty into a probability forecast, right? A probability curve. And the second thing is, which I, which I mentioned as part of this first thing is they have a pick by pick thing and it'll say, 
you know, I was looking at quarterbacks on the 14th pick where the Ravens are picking. It's very, very low. And then the next team, it's very, very high. Well, guess what? The Ravens may move out of 14, right? And someone else moves into 14. And then all of a sudden that could become a quarterback sort of pick. So how do you think about those two angles, which kind of go together, which is just more uncertainty than you're going to see because positions will shift around and we, we can't accurately predict the guy that will fall 20 spots further than anyone is pre, than anyone is thinking or the guy that will go 10 spots earlier than anyone's thinking. Yeah, so I'll start with the second question first of, uh, you know, positions going uh, to certain draft slots. And so I, uh, I have it aggregated. Uh, so I could type in, you know, like in my, my spreadsheet here, you know, like pick number 14, or let's say you mentioned the Ravens. So I could type in Baltimore and I can see, okay, like they take, uh, we'll say I have 25 sharp mocks aggregated. They take an edge defender in 11 of them and a uh, offensive tackle in seven of them and a defensive tackle in four of them. And it's like, Hey, they don't take a quarterback in any of them. So like, yeah, if I'm looking at, at mock draft data, I would say there's a 0% chance, but like we, we know that's not realistic as you say. And so when I'm uh, looking at particular markets and thinking about like, what is the real probability? Like I'm always mentally adjusting that. So I would say like, no, it's not a 0% probability. It's more like a 5% probability. And you could probably quantify this by looking at uh, the historical trade rates for the first round. Uh, and, you know, especially in particular type of picks, um, you know, where, and if people are trading up, they're probably trading up for one or two types of positions, uh, maybe three or four, but like they're trading up for certain premium positions. And so you could probably look at a pick in the teens uh, and even though the mock draft data might not point in a particular direction, you could say just based on how often trades have happened in the NFL draft in the past 10 years, you know, there's a, a probability of a team moving up. And if they move up, there's the probability of them taking a quarterback or a wide receiver or whatever it is. So that's number one. And then, yeah, number two, the, the point of like, okay, this player is here in 100% of the mock drafts. So his probability of being there is 100%. Um, I did a tool last year at Action Network that uh, kind of did something like that, like sort of aggregated mocks and then kind of smoothed it out a little bit so that we would compare the probabilities of certain players being available at certain picks with the, the draft market. Uh, so like, I have a little sense of that and like, yeah, you always sort of like smooth out the, the edges of like, there's, there's never a 100% probability of anything in the, the NFL draft. Like even, uh, last year I would just do the token, like, okay, 1% chance that it's Zach Wilson going number one, you know, and it's like, <laughs> yeah, even, yeah. even that was probably too high, but it's like, you just, you have to smooth it out a little bit because like, this is total chaos uh anyway and then there's chaos on top of that with all the trades so yeah yeah you, i mean I, you can't say anything definitive with like a hundred percent yeah i mean I, I think if you're betting individual player over unders it probably doesn't matter that much where the tails go because you're 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 yeah. concerned about where that kind of median sort of sort of outcome is but if you're betting 
X number of wide receivers to go in the first round, well, then it starts to matter if guys who are being consistently mocked in the 20s and are never being mocked in the 40s, but they really have a better chance of being in the 40s than you might think, then it kind of matters in those sorts of sorts of discussions. So let me let, let me ask yeah. you for the different types of bets we're talking about here, player uh, over-unders, totals for like first round by position, um, and then maybe a separate bucket of long shots. I look through your – you have a list of your, um, your, your your props that you're going here over at Betting Pros. You don't have too many of the long shots. And I think people love to talk about long shots because, let's face it, it's a lot of fun to say like exactly what I was saying. Like, oh, I picked Matt Corral to go in the top 10 and now I'm like 16 to 1 – cha-ching sort of thing than it would be to say oh i project i projected this player would go here at you know minus 400 or whatever like no one's high-fiving you if you do something like that so (laughs) but are you getting more value on those types of bets versus the long shots so i did an analysis last year after the fact you know looked back at the entirety of my uh draft prop card that was 298 bets uh, ridiculous number of, of I mean, like, Seek help. I, I just, looked, Seek help. I know I seriously, I looked at that number and I was like, that's too much. Like that's, I was, I was over levered. Um, you, you don't so even I know did, what you're rooting for at that point. You're like sitting there during the draft. You need, you need that like five minute, 15, whatever the window is between every bet, just to like reorganize yourself on where you stand in life. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, uh, did an analysis of all of that and I found, you know what? I really suck at long shots. You know, so I'm just, I I took, I took too many of them last year. And so part of it is I realized I'm just not really good at that. Uh, And I think some of that is the methodology that I'm using, like looking at the existing data instead of maybe being a little more imaginative and thinking about where might the data change. So part of that, like, is just a shortcoming. Uh, And then part of it is the fact that I don't think the markets are as robust this year as they were last year. Uh, and so there are fewer long shots that I think are viable. Uh, and so you put that together and yeah, it means I, I have relatively few long shots. I, I do have, and I'll say a third thing this year. Uh, I, so last year I was very into it, like basically thinking of it as like buying, selling, looking at positions, trying to anticipate where lines would move this year uh, for maybe six weeks. I didn't place a single bet on the draft and part of it was just because i didn't like a lot of the props that were on the board i didn't like a lot of what i was seeing in mock drafts it just felt it felt too uncertain and i've been very heavy betting it the past week or so um but because i didn't enter the market during that period of most of march that means that uh a lot of the long shot long shot opportunities that could have been profitable i just didn't jump on and some of it was like I wouldn't have seen it anyway to jump on it. And if I had been placing long shots, then I would have been placing them on the wrong guys. So, you know, it's not like I have a sexy story of like, I got on Trevon Walker 20 to one to be the number one pick, but you know, I do have him at, you know, plus five fifty to be the first defensive lineman drafted, you know, like that's a little bit of a long shot, not like a, a super sexy long shot, but like I did get on that. But other than that, yeah, I don't really have any long shots. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm I'm thinking that you said it's not as robust this year, but I mean, I assume it's like the more uncertainty there is, the less you want to put out early because then you you leave yourself vulnerable, or or maybe there's another reason for why for why books aren't being uh, aren't offering as much as they are. And I I guess maybe just as like a 
logical rule, I would say like, what's the most fun thing to bet on? That's probably the worst return. You're going to, you're, you're going to get on, yeah. on whatever that is. Probably, so that's, that's part of it. Yeah. And I would say some of it is the books, like they got beat last year. And I think they sort of learned the lesson of like, we don't need to put out as many props that expose us. Uh, people will bet on the things that we put out and let's minimize our exposure a little bit. And then the other thing is this class just isn't as much fun as last year's was. We had seven skill position players go in the top 10 last year. Like that is fun to bet on. We might yeah. get two, maybe three skill position players in the top 10 this year. Now, last and people year just know running. those players better, right? Yeah, if you're just going to have exactly. your average Joe on the street. He's going to know these quarterbacks better than the the edge rushers probably beyond the first few guys. And obviously yeah. they're not valued nearly as highly. Yeah, exactly. So there's just less interest in this year's draft, like less enthusiasm with it than there was last year's. Okay. Okay. So after this very long introduction and strategizing and process here, what do you still, are you still looking at now? And let's talk maybe the top of the draft first. I'm trying to think of like the, the logical order to think about here. Do you have anything that you're seeing here? Any opinions about, you mentioned Trayvon Walker, you know, the whole Hutchinson thing, it was like Hutchinson was the guy, then he maybe wasn't the guy, then he went back to being the guy, and now maybe it's more of a maybe now. Where do you stand on what's going to, how how things are going to play out these first couple of picks? Or for, yeah, probably first two picks is really what people are concentrated on. Yeah, so I will say, if you are of the opinion that Aiden Hutchinson is the number one guy, uh, I think the way to exploit that is to bet on Trevon Walker to go number two. And you can get him at, uh, I did this this morning, at plus 550 at, uh, at Caesars. Um, however, I think Walker's going to be the guy at number one. Hmm. And yesterday we saw, and in my, in my uh, mock draft that I do next, I will have Walker number one. Um, now, in the prop market we saw yesterday at number two, some serious movement on Kayvon Thibodeau to go, not Aiden Hutchinson, which is really suspicious because I think if Hutchinson is available at number two, I think he's a smash there. Like I, I think the lions don't even think about it. They're taking him at number two. And I remember that you and I had a Twitter exchange. Maybe it was just DM exchange last year, uh, the day of the draft, when the news or the lines were shifting dramatically away from Mac Jones and towards Trey Lance. And I said, like, this is the one day during the year where if you see the prop market moving, I will trust what we're seeing there versus the mock drafts. So at this point, I am still with the mocks. Hutchinson should be ahead of Kayvon Thibodeau. The market movement yesterday doesn't really factor into the way I'm viewing this. I think Hutchinson is a near mortal lock for the top two, but it is a little bit weird that we saw that market movement yesterday as if someone knows something, but the lines makers, even now, it doesn't take much for them to move a line. So it could just be someone coming in with a thousand dollars betting on cave on Thibodeau. They move the line, other books see the line moved at this book. So they move in coordination. So I'm not putting too much on that, but it is notable that Kayvon Thibodeau is now the favorite to go number two, not Hutchinson, not Trevon Walker, but I still think Trevon Walker, number one, Aiden Hutchinson, number two. 
Yeah, I mean, it seems absolutely insane to me that these decisions would not be made like maybe even weeks in advance for, for what we're seeing from these guys. But I believe yeah. it. I believe it because I, I think the one thing that people don't necessarily appreciate enough is that like, well, let's, let's go back to this, uh, this whole Trey Lance, Mac Jones fiasco from last year. I kind of believe, I know, you know, I know you're anti Schefter now, but I kind of believe his side of the story. I kind of believe his side of the story that they did think it was going to be Mac Jones. And then eventually something ended up happening. And I can easily see in these in these things, I think the element people don't recognize is like the ownership element in this. But I, yeah. I think what people don't really recognize is when there is a disagreement, even if someone is kind of like the decision maker and what's going to happen, if there is a disagreement, if someone can get in the owner's ear and say, it's basically a coin flip between these guys, but let me tell you why it should be this guy instead. And then the owner says, okay, well, we're going to take that guy instead. Then that can happen. And I would not be surprised if that happens right before the draft or in the week leading up to the draft. It's not like the owner sitting in on all of these meetings and other stuff. He has different people in his ear potentially or her ear when it comes to Detroit uh, potentially. And then that, that ends up being made. So it seems totally out of whack that these billion dollar organizations could just be you know, flipping from one way to another near the end uh, in the last week. And you read these stories about them being torn and you think this is ridiculous, but I think it can actually be the case. Yeah, I think that, I think it is the case. And part of it is because of the the process of collecting information. Like they are still collecting information up until the last minute, like medical information, background checks on guys, and then sorting the positions and then stacking the board. And so that's just sort of the process of putting all of your data into a format. And then on top of that, there's the process of decision-making, right? And with the, the Jags at number one, ownership, it seems, wants Aiden Hutchinson. GM Trent Balky probably wants Trevon Walker because he's- So in how that, much that do you believe? Aiden, okay, so like, like, the, like yeah. okay, the Balky story about Balky- is anti Harbaugh so that he wouldn't want Aiden Hutchinson? Oh, that's, like, just, when you that's hear- just me making. That's just me making stuff up. Oh, that's just because I've heard stuff like that. I even saw something about a Jaguars insider who I think actually got something drastically wrong early this year. I can't remember what it was though. Um, was saying something about like was was getting some sort of text from someone within the organization saying, "Do you really think that Bulky would?" you know, not go for Hutchinson just because of animus towards Harbaugh. And he's like, oh yeah, definitely that could happen. And I'm thinking to myself, like, does that actually affect your opinion at all? Or is it more of a broader landscape on what's happening with Mox? Well, okay. I will just say I, like that doesn't really factor into my analysis of this, but yeah. Trent Balky, like I would just say, there's something about this guy, like in his heart, he does not want to take Jim Harbaugh's golden boy. Like there, he does not want to. That does. I don't think it's going to factor into whether they ultimately will or won't. But like personally, like he would hate that. And, I just figure guys like Bulky are really good at sucking up to ownership, and that's how they end up getting these jobs again. But maybe I'm maybe I'm wrong about that. I mean, fair enough. I, I think Bulky has shown that he's uh, really adept at destroying an organization. Um, <laughs> but other than that, anyway. And then so that's those are the two edge rushers, and then you have the coaching staff, and. I mean, reports are they want an offensive tackle to protect their quarterback. They're, you know, more of the offensive-minded coaching staff. You have Evan Neal, you have Akim Aquanu, either one of which I think arguably could be a good number one pick. And they're like, hey, why wouldn't we protect the guy that we just spent the number one pick on last year? So 
you put all of that together and it's like, who really knows? Who knows what's going to happen at the top of the draft? Right. But you can pick through, as you're mentioning, not just saying I have to choose who's going to go first, but you can look at value at second and other places for what what may end up happening. OK, so I'm looking through some of these other bets that, that you have here. OK, so doing something like Sauce Gardner in the top 10 at minus 650 again, like who's betting that other than. Like the degenerate who just who's who's not actually I don't even know if that is even a degenerate bet. I don't know what that is. It seems more cold and calculating in the same sort of yeah. way because you're getting no high fives for that. You're you're not, you're not you're not taking pictures and tweeting out your tickets on on stuff like this. Yeah, thank you for picking like the most unsexy <laughs> of, the, of the bets. That I'm leaning into morning. your brand. I'm leaning into your brand here. Yeah, no, my brand is definitely wet blanket. No, there's nothing, there's nothing great about that bet. It's just like, it's just a plus EV bet. And I'm not, you know, it's, it's minus 650. It's not as if I'm putting six and a half units on it. I'm not over leveraging on it. It's just like, okay, I see value on this. I want to get a little bit of exposure. I'll put a unit on it and, you know, I'll look to profit like 0.15 units or whatever it is. That's not great, but little bets like that add up. Um, I will say thinking about the top of the board a little bit more, uh, Evan Neal, I do think there's mm-hmm. value on him versus a Kim Aquanu. because if you look in the markets right now, Aquanu uh, is the higher rated guy to be the first offensive lineman. He's got better odds to be the, um, the number one pick versus Evan Neal. But in the mock draft data, the sharp mocks that I'm looking at across the board, Neal is ahead of Aquanu. And I think even from a, you know, quote unquote, real life football perspective, you can make the case of Neil versus Aquanu. Aquanu is the more aggressive, uh, better run blocker. Like he's got the sexier tape in that he just like pancakes multiple dudes whenever he's out run blocking. But Neil is the more polished player. He's the better pass blocker. And I think he's got a little more in terms of versatility. He's started a season at right tackle, started a season at left tackle, started a season at guard. Uh, I think he probably should go ahead of Aquanu. And that's nothing against Aquanu, who you know should be a lock for the top five. But I think Neil uh, offers value, a plus money to go ahead of Aquanu as the number one offensive lineman in the class. Yeah, yeah, I like that. What about the the like Charles Cross factor? Does that... Because I know some people, I think maybe even PFF, now that I mean so some people, I think we may even have him higher on our big board, not like predicting what's actually going to happen. Does he factor it all into the analysis? A little bit, but I'll say in the short mocks, he's pretty cleanly behind both Neil and Iquanu. And I can't really find a spot for him unless the Panthers go with an offensive tackle at number six. And in one of the early mocks I did, I did have them going with Charles Cross there. Uh, unless the Panthers go offensive tackle at number six, I think it's hard to find a, a perfect spot for him in the top 10. Like I could see him going Seattle uh, at number nine. Uh, that's where I have him mocked now, but I still don't think that's even all that great of a fit. You know, cross is more of the, uh, the, like the pass blocking uh, offensive lineman, but it's, it's rough because he didn't have to do a lot of run blocking in college because of the system he played in. And he didn't have to hold like his blocks a long time because it was a quick passing system. So it's more of a projection to him with the NFL. And like, I think he'll be fine. Like I think he should very easily be the number three tackle in this class, but I do think there's a a pretty significant tier between Neil and Aquanu as the top two and cross as the number three. 
Okay, so what's interesting to me is this year it's a little of a unique circumstance with the Jets and the Giants in the top ten, right? Because you have the Jets at four and ten and the Giants at five and seven with the Panthers sandwiched between them there. That like how does that factor into this offensive tackle discussion? Because like I could see the Jets wanting to get out of, you know, when they're when they're done picking at 10. Maybe they want a tackle and a wide receiver, let's say, or something like that. So they're probably going to want to go tackle, I would assume, at four then at that point, because there'll probably only be one at most off of the board already at that point. Same with the Giants. Like, if there's still one of the two big tackles left, they probably pull that lever there. Maybe not as much for for cross or go somewhere else. How how are you thinking about those two teams? Because I do think there's some interesting – game theory sort of aspects for them when they want to get out with certain types of positions in a draft where you're not necessarily saying best player available, even for teams that are lacking talent because of the fact that they're all muddled together as far as their, their talent range. Have you thought all about that, that kind of like dual outcome that they need for having these two different picks, both of those teams? Yeah. I love that question because it's not just the jets and the giants in the top 10, you have the Eagles and the saints with a Mm -hmm. similar dynamic, having to move around each other in the teens. And then you have even a little bit, the Packers and the chiefs having to negotiate uh, because they might have similar interests, right? Wide receiver and edge. You could see both of those teams targeting those two positions uh, in the twenties and and at 30. So yeah, it's, it's really intriguing to think about how those teams move around each other. And so I would think that the jets all just say, I think it's likelier that they go edge wide receiver instead of offensive tackle and wide receiver. But if they go offensive tackle, yeah, they're going to need to take that guy at number four because the Giants are definitely, uh, well, I don't want to say definitely, can't put 100% on this, but I think it's likely that the Giants are going offensive tackle with one of their two picks. And I would expect if we think, okay, offensive tackle, you take him at five because there's a chance the Panthers take him at number six, if you let him slide. Right. And then if you think you're the Giants and you want a mod Gardner, even if you have Gardner ahead of the offensive tackle you might take, Gardner is not going to the Panthers at number six. Like very good probability Gardner is available to you at number seven. So you take the offensive tackle. Yeah, they're tackle probably not first. taking a cornerback in the top 10 back to back years. Uh, Probably not, right? Yeah, probably not. So, you know, I think if you're the Giants, you go offensive tackle at number five, wait for Gardner. He will probably, not probably, almost certainly fall to you at number seven because the Panthers, they don't have an interest in, I mean, no one's going to trade up to number six for Sauce Gardner. Uh, and then, yeah, if you're the the Jets, you don't take, in my opinion, you don't take a wide receiver at number four because a, a guy... He that even that same receiver even might be available to you at number 10. And if he's not someone who's probably comparable enough in quality will be available at number 10. You know, if you think you want an edge or an offensive tackle, they better take him at number four because there's a high probability that guy won't be available at number 10. Okay, let, let's talk about some other positions, maybe, because we've talked about some tackles and edge a, a decent amount here. So let's talk, let's, let's just go ahead and talk quarterbacks first, even though they may not be the main position. So what are your takes? Because again, I'm just mocking quarterbacks, everyone, everyone, everyone gets a quarterback. Um, the, the Panthers are the big one, right? We have 
uh, already mentioned Josh Norris here, who seems to be pretty adamant about the fact that he thinks the Panthers are going to go veteran and maybe trade back or do something like that. I can't tell if that is something that he thinks he has inside knowledge on, uh, his own logical conclusion, or if this is like a fan projection on the fact that he thinks all these quarterbacks stink and he doesn't want to to, to draft them and, and have that there. What do you think about them? Because they're kind of the most interesting team. And I mean, maybe the Lions could go quarterback, but that just really seems more like we're trying to make a story out of something. Yeah, I mean, with Josh... It, it might be, you know, that he's in Keith Hernandez mode right now. Uh, we're thinking about what happens at number six, but no, I yeah. mean, I, I can see, I will say in my last mock draft, I had Kenny Pickett going to Carolina and like, I have been torn on this for the past couple of weeks about what to do uh, with the, the Panthers at number six. And I'll just say with Pickett, he has, I think the widest range of outcome of any of the guys that I'm looking at right now. And so to, to put numbers, on this with Pickett, um, his average of the the sharp index that I have, his average is sixteen point two. His median is nineteen, but his mode is six. You know, so like it is all over the board with him, and I believe that I have bet the over on his uh, his player prop of twelve and a half. Um, because if he doesn't go number six, and increasingly I think he does not go number six, I don't see how he goes in the top twelve. I think that yeah. it's it's unlikely. So uh, this question of what to do with the Panthers, I am I'm increasingly leaning towards the idea that if they stay put, they draft a tackle or they try to trade down. And maybe if they do that, they end up taking one of these quarterbacks in the teens. But I don't think if they're at six, they are taking a quarterback there. And I would like to get your thoughts on, on this, but also like the McAdoo press conference where he was like Sam, Sam Darnold is our starter and then a minute later I shouldn't have said that yeah <laughs> you know, yeah like, I don't are, know what are your thoughts there I, I, I'm not gonna read too much in the McAdoo thing I guess if you were gonna read into it you'd read into it that they're not gonna draft someone and that's why he may have said it but you know we, we've seen many maybe again he could you know you could also flip it around and, and say that um but he's the offensive coordinator. Like, what the hell does he? Might, he might not even have that great of an idea necessarily what they're going to do in the draft uh, anyway. Well, I don't know how it works in these organizations. So you could flip it around to saying that he shouldn't make promises that they're that they're going to break uh, in a week. Um, but I do think Sam Darnold has a good chance of starting if they draft someone, right? If they draft someone, Sam Darnold has a pretty good chance of starting of starting week one. So, uh, okay, so here's my thing. And again, I'm going to look at this logically, which maybe makes no sense. Like, I just don't get it. With Rule has been... And this whole Panthers organization, starting with bringing in Teddy Bridgewater and, you know, bringing in Robbie Anderson that first year and bringing in other players and trying to compete the long way, like they don't, he doesn't have another year to the Sam Darnold experience for another year. That That's, that's not going to cut it, right? But at the same time, if you think about their options, so one option would be trade back and take a quarterback in the teens. Who, who, like, I, I just don't know who does that. Like, I don't know what team says, you know what we're going to do? We really love this quarterback. So what we're going to do is we're going to move back eight, nine spots and then draft him. Like, I just, I don't know. That sounds risky to me, unless they're like, we'll just take anyone at that, at that, that, that point. So that's, so that's why I'm a little less credulous as something like that will happen. Number two is they sign up, they go from mutual disinterest to uh, a shotgun wedding with Baker Mayfield, uh, or they go Jimmy Garoppolo to me, Unless you get major salary relief on this, I cannot imagine 
going into your season to be like, guess what? We have uh, Baker Mayfield and Sam Darnold at $36 million, or we have uh, Sam Darnold and Jimmy Garoppolo at $45 million this year in order to go seven and 10 and not make the playoffs. Like, isn't everyone getting fired in, in, in these different situations? Both of them on the last year of their contracts also. So then like, what are you doing after that? What is your plan after that? So I, I agree. They don't have a second round pick. They don't have a third round pick. They don't have a fourth round pick. They, they I mean, they, they, they fucked it up. Okay. They fucked it up, but guess what? You're, you're in it already. You have decent pieces. The defense wasn't necessarily that bad. Like if you're Fritterer, at least rule may not survive no matter what, but if you're a Fritterer draft a quarterback, if you're bad this year, you could probably still survive until next year. And then Again, you can always go ahead and maybe even take someone else the next year if you really have to with your full complement of picks. I just don't see how you you punt this season because Sam Darnold will will cause everyone to get fired by week five. Uh, I hear you on the <laughs> on the on point number two, especially love it. Uh, point number one, I think because Fritterer is not attached to rule. He could yes. probably take a little more of the longer game of being like, we don't, not, not two, not three, not four. Like, we don't have these picks in the middle rounds. Let's trade back just so we can get a second. And this quarterback will still be there. And if he's not, I don't care because you're going to get fired anyway. <laughs> yeah, maybe. I mean, I, the, well, another part is like the whole, if like next year, we'll, we'll go to next year. Like, again, they're a team that has been constructed, believe it or not, to compete, right? Not to, um, in a way, to, to compete. Now, they have cap space. So they do have cap space that they cleared out as part of the Deshaun Watson, you know, fiasco um, with that everything went on there. So maybe that's not necessarily the case. But I don't know, man. I, I don't know. I, I just... And, and like, I don't care about taking a shot at someone at six and having it not work because... You know, it's not one of these situations where the cost doesn't matter if it's a quarterback. It's just like, I just don't know what moves the needle, like bringing in an offensive tackle and then bringing in a veteran who no one's going to be that excited about who only has a year left on their contract. Like, I, I don't understand how you're fired up about this team unless they make the playoffs. And I think the chances of that would be extremely low. Yeah, that's fair. And one thing, I think it's going to be hard for the Panthers to trade back from number six. Yes. Uh, because I see a pretty significant tier break between the guys in the top five. You have Hutchinson, Walker, Neil, Thibodeau, and Iquanu. I think that's a pretty clean top five. And then after that, it's like, okay, yeah, Gardner is is fine as the number six talent in the class. But I still think there's a pretty big difference between those top five and Gardner. And I don't know if anyone's going to want to trade up for a cornerback at number six. So I think the Panthers, I think they're just screwed, right? They yeah, just, yeah. I, I think they're, they're at six unless one of these players, unless it's maybe like a Quanu falls to number six. But if that happens, I think they just might take him, you know? So yeah. it's, uh, it's, it's a really weird situation that they're in. Yeah, yeah. I mean, because I think also you mentioned how quiet it's been with with the Seahawks. You know, there is a team that could potentially trade up, I guess, if they wanted to decide they're going to get a quarterback. But even though the Giants maybe should be thinking about a quarterback at seven, they're probably not thinking about one. The Atlanta Falcons are a weird one because they get mocked a quarterback a lot. But if there was a team where I said, you know what, we could have the number one pick next year, it's the Atlanta Falcons. So for them, unlike the Panthers, who I feel like will not be the number one pick, even with Sam, I mean, they, they were they were like 3-0 and with Sam Darnold to start the year last year. Even with Sam Darnold, I don't think they're going to be the number one pick contention. 
I wouldn't mess up your chances of being the number one pick if I'm if I'm the Atlanta Falcons. So that's a team that I would pass on. Then you mentioned the Seahawks, very quiet. I think they should take someone, but who knows what will end up happening there. And then the Jets, then the Commanders, then the Vikings. It's just there isn't a lot there for someone who may potentially take a quarterback. So, yeah, why trade up into that spot if you wanted to take a shot at a quarterback? I think most teams would be content then to wait for the teens to see if their guy is there to maybe move up a few spots instead of moving up all the way that's going to cost them, you know, a, a second round pick or a first round pick to do so. Yeah. You, you mentioned the Falcons there. And it makes me think they should do like full, full Jimmy Clausen where <laughs> they, they take a quarterback in the second round. Uh, maybe it's Sam Howell who falls to them in the second yes. round, something like that. Take one of these, uh, one of these, we've got the top five quarterbacks, whichever one falls to you in the second round, take him, give him a shot. If he doesn't work out, it doesn't matter. You're taking Cam Newton next year. So, you know, I, I think the, the Falcons should definitely do that. And I will say the Saints, they are an intriguing team with those two picks in the middle of the first round where some beat, some beat reporters, multiple beat reporters are saying they could be looking quarterback. I really don't know if I believe that. Uh, why did like, they sign I, Andy Dalton if they wanted to get a quarterback? Exactly. Why, why yeah. Jameis Winston? Why Andy Dalton if you're going to take a quarterback? And maybe it's you know, uh, we take this guy, but we don't think he's NFL ready. Uh, we feel like he needs some more time. And that feels like, or, or why make the trade so far in advance? Right. If right. you, if you had, yeah, yeah, that may, it makes no logical sense. But then again, we are talking about the saints here. So they, I, I cannot say there's so many times I've never seen more universal, uh, expectation slash disappointment when they traded up in 2018. Everyone's like, okay, here comes Lamar Jackson. Everyone was high. It was buying their Lamar Jackson Saints jerseys, and then they they drafted Marcus Davenport, and uh, that 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 went the way that that it did. Um, okay, so again. Oh, you know, one thing I was going to mention really fast about Arthur Smith. The only reason, I don't know if Arthur Smith is going to survive. The guy aged like 17, 20 years just last season and how he looks here. So if he has to go through a Marcus Mariota season with that team, maybe maybe he'd be the only one who's like, we got to do something. I cannot, I won't survive until next year. I'll be, on the outside, he's 47 or something, but he'll be like 80 on the inside after another season on the Falcons. I mean, he's got an old sounding name, and now he's got he's got the, the body. He's a the billionaire, face. though. He is a billionaire. Yeah, that's true. That's so true. maybe he, he could do yeah. some sort of. Maybe he can just like in, inhibit. They can like download his brain into another younger, fresher body after he's worn out this one with, with the billions of dollars there. Okay, so let's talk wide receivers next a bit here because everyone like again, this is a, you talk. You think you could you think you could put a quarterback into every single slot? You could put wide receiver into like two wide receivers. Everyone's like. Uh, Packers are going to use both of their picks on wide receivers or something like that. So you can slot, slot them in everywhere. I get the angle that the cost is going up. Everyone wants to get out of their contract, so that's part of it. But I feel like if we were having this conversation a year or two ago, there would have been this feeling of, you know what, you can wait on wide receiver because there's so many good wide receivers available and it's so deep. So I don't know how those two conflicting opinions go against each other when trying to decide – People are very high on the number of wide receivers are going to be taken in this first round. Yeah, that's that's right. People are high on it, but I I think it makes sense in part because of the as you said the market uh, and then just the teams uh, that have multiple first round picks, and so it's it's pretty easy just to slot a wide receiver to them. Thinking of like the Ravens last year, they had two first rounders, just slot them uh, a first round wide receiver. It's it's almost too easy in the mocks, and so we could see potentially five wide receivers go in the top 20 and that's before you're even getting to 
the Patriots, I doubt they take a wide receiver, but you could, you could justify it if they do it. Uh, and then you have the Packers with two picks. Uh, you could see the Cardinals potentially take a wide receiver. I doubt it, but you could see it happening. Maybe Dallas, like no one really expected CD lamb when they drafted him. I mean, potentially they could take a wide receiver. Uh, and then the, the chiefs at the end of the first round, you could see them taking a wide receiver. So it's, it's almost too easy to just hammer over five and a half, uh, as the, the total number of wide receivers going in round one. Uh, but I, I think it's the right, the, the right bet pretty easily the right bet. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not so sure about the Cowboys. I remember for the, the CD lamb was kind of, again, looking back on that, at the time, it was like a luxurious sort of pick, and it was a talent, like we can't believe he fell to us sort of pick. I'm not sure if there'll be the same dynamic at this point with the, like, I don't know if there's a player, because then it was more like Ruggs, it was overdrafted, of course, and then uh, and then CD Lamb, and then Jerry Judy were kind of seen as being this real top three. So then when Lamb slid down, I don't think there is the solidified top three in that same sort of way for this one. So I'm not quite as sure about that. And, uh, yeah, we, we, the Patriots obviously are not going to take a wide receiver because we know that Bill Belichick can't drive draft wide receivers. So therefore they, therefore they should never take one again. That's what I've heard. And I'm, uh, I'm just going to go with that. Right. Yeah, of course. That's an intelligent way to approach this. And like, I think you're right. Like, it's not likely that the Cowboys are going to take a wide receiver, but I would say like, it's, it's within the range of outcomes. Sure. And so you add all of these little probabilities together for some of these teams, like, the Patriots, the Cardinals, the Cowboys, they're not likely to take a wide receiver, but you add it all together and it's like, well, you can see how it happens between one of those three teams, but you don't even need to include those teams to have over five and a half is a pretty decent bet. And I will say with the Cowboys, I don't think Jerry is going to have as much uh, enthusiasm for Traylon Burks as he had for CeeDee Lamb back in the day, but Burks come and This is just like pure narrative, but like Burks, Burks, based on like the the skill set that he has, like they can hand him the ball, uh, the big bodied slot. Although I think he could su- succeed outside. And then coming from Arkansas, like I I don't know if Jerry's going to see Burks at twenty four if he's there, and like want to pass on him. Yeah, yeah, I, I can see that. I mean, they do have a lot invested in Dak, so maybe they'll want to you know kind of enhance what what they're getting there. He's going to have a huge cap number coming up in a, in a couple of years. Um, okay. One player who I wanted to talk to you about, cause I noticed that you have here, I'm not sure what the number is now. Well, it's only from yesterday, April 19th. We have Jordan Davis at over 14 and a half. I'm a little bit ambivalent about him because he, he, I think about him from an athletic freak sort of standpoint and say, well, someone's going to take a shot on that, right? Someone's gonna take a shot on that. Maybe teams are a little bit more interested in having, um, bigger interior linemen with this whole too high thing. But then again, he's not really known as being like a run stuffer plug two gap sort of guy. Anyway, he's obviously nowhere near some of these guys on the production measures, but you could, you could make a case of, well, you know, Derek Brown went in the top, what was it? Seven or something like that. When he went, uh, Vita Vea was one of the best picks of the last several years, as a guy who's kind of also somewhat of a freaky athlete, he's a little shorter and again, a little more like a run stuffing sort of guy. What, what makes you confident that teams are going to pass on this tantalizing athleticism that he presents? It's a good question. So part of it is what I mentioned before in that uh, on, you know, kind of retroactive research, seeing that the guys who are physical freaks tend to be pushed up the, the mock draft boards a little more than they should based on where they get drafted. 
And then also some of it is the position, you know, defensive tackle. It's a devalued position in the NFL, you know, like Aaron Donald aside, uh, you know, largely a devalued position. Uh, and even think of like Aaron Donald, like where he went in the draft, like he should have gone much higher than he did. He should be valued more than he is now in the NFL. I mean, everyone basically says like, Oh, he's, he's the best player in the league, but like, I mean, nowhere do you see him in MVP votes or anything like that, but this is kind of going aside of the question, Jordan Davis, defensive tackle. It's hard to figure out where to slot a defensive tackle because it's not a big need for any of these teams that are picking, we'll say one through 13, you can see the Ravens, uh, you know, as a defensive tackle team, but they just resigned Calais Campbell. So they don't necessarily even need interior of the defensive line as much. Uh, and the Texans, they have so many needs all over that I think it, it might be harder for them to take a, a defensive tackle. Uh, so part of it is the position he plays. Part of it is that he's an athletic freak and those guys just get pushed up the board a little bit more uh, than they should. And then part of it is just team needs uh, early in the draft. Like I can see Jordan Davis being drafted in the top 10, but um, it's just, it's not really there in the data that I tend to rely on. Okay. Another guy who's been talked about almost ad nauseum as far as whether he'll go, where he'll go or not is Kyle Hamilton. I see you have, over 10 and a half here, uh, plus 105, which what I'm looking at here is still is still the case here at DraftKings. So he's he's been a guy who's sliding, right? Generally. Yeah. I don't know if it's has has there been any is it is it solidified at all, or are we still in free fall mode at this point? It's it's still free fall, you know. <laughs> I mean, like you could see that the Texans were in the, the early process a team. Uh, at number three, who were occasionally getting him in mocks. And so they have needs all over. Kyle Hamilton is a good player, even though he doesn't have the speed to back up that statement. Um, he's still a good player. You saw that in college football for multiple seasons. Uh, 13 is a perfectly justified spot where he could land. But, I mean, he could slide past number 13 pretty easily. And if that happens, you're looking at, the Eagles at 15 or maybe at 18 uh, you could make a case for the saints potentially addressing the defensive side of the ball. But I mean, they traded up with some guys in mind. Like I think they're looking offensive tackle and wide receiver. So even if Kyle Hamilton is there when the saints are on the board and maybe even if they think, okay, we have a safety spot that is open, we could take him and he's at a value. Even then, they still might like other players more. So the Kyle, the Kyle Hamilton slide could continue. And right now, you know, I'm looking at the mock draft data. He goes over 10 and a half in 84% of sharp mocks. Hmm. Like even if you adjust, like this isn't even close. Like this is a slam, put as much money as you can on this type of bet. Yeah. Yeah. It's, 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 I mean, we've gone from the discourse of is Kyle Hamilton the best player in this draft to now outside of the top 10. And I mean, I guess if you're going to lean like in a certain direction, if we're going to talk about 
quarterbacks being players you should draft earlier because of their value, wide receivers being players you should draft earlier because of how they're being valued in the league. I mean, a safety, you're going to like, hey, I can just go and like, go look in the, the the bargain basement wherever, you know, and just pick out a couple and, and bring them over. They're just not that expensive. I mean, they did just lose Marcus Williams not that long ago in a pretty big contract to to the Ravens, as you mentioned, with the Saints. So they have that slot kind of kind of open. But still, the surplus value that you're getting on that type of position is fairly low. So I'll be interested to see. I mean, is this a Derwin James type of situation who ended up falling until, what, the late teens? When yeah, he ended I think Derwin James went number 17. Yeah, know? yeah. And, it, and like Kyle Hamilton, even though he has a James-esque type of skill set, he yeah. doesn't have anything close to Derwin James' athleticism. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's interesting. I, I, I've also heard this argument that maybe this the bigger kind of dual skill set safety is more valuable in these two high systems versus an Earl Thomas middle of the field guy. I don't know that again, that kind of see, I, I see it as I feel like the NFL has kind of been a little bit of the opposite way where you've had these high, if, if a guy could be like a hybrid linebacker safety who plays safety, they've kind of been devalued even more. I feel like in some, in some circumstances, like guys like Landon Collins have just been way, way like an awful, uh, uh, free agent pickup for for the Washington football team at the time and other things. So yeah, I mean, I think I think that's one that aligns with with the logic of the situation. Um, what? Let me see. What other position players here? Do you have any? Yeah, good running back takes. Or are we just we just fading the possibility that guys who I think objectively look good? Like if you didn't tell me going into this draft, if you didn't tell me that um, that Brees Hall and Kenneth Walker were not never being mocked in the first round. Basically, if you didn't tell me that and you just like dropped me onto the planet and all I could see is their stats and their just bombs highlight videos, I would be like, oh, these guys are going in the first round, right? Yeah, I mean, especially if you consider that we had two running backs in the first round last year. And yeah. I mean, okay, Travis Etienne is a better receiver, at least I think, than Brees Hall. And mm-hmm. I would say, you know, like Najee Harris, maybe a better runner than Kenneth Murray, maybe not, but, but certainly, uh, a, a better all around, uh, player because he's got the receiving skill set. So I can see why those guys went in the first round last year. And maybe these guys don't go in the first round, but I still think even if they go in the second round, Brees Hall, I think he's a three down back. Um, Kenneth Walker, I said, Kenneth Murray before Kenneth Walker. Uh, I think he's got, uh, underappreciated potential because he hasn't shown the receiving ability, but it still might be there. And even if not, maybe he can still turn into like a Nick Chubb type of weapon. I think Isaiah Spiller is being grossly underappreciated. Like, I don't think it matters that he isn't all that athletic. Yeah, right. Maybe the, the flip production. side of the athleticism argument that you made about guys being pushed up, right? Yeah, exactly. He's He's got the, uh, the three years of college production. He's got the receiving ability. He's young. He produced in the SEC. He was a highly recruited uh, or highly touted recruit. So there's a lot of reason to be bullish on him. And then I will even say Brian Robinson, like I'm interested if he goes in the top yeah. hundred, if, if he goes uh, on day two, I want Brian Robinson in fantasy. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. I wasn't as high on him until I started to really look through it. Yeah, he, he looks like he's a guy who can, I mean, he's big. And the age thing maybe doesn't bother me as much if you're sitting behind some other guys who are, you right. know, 
Damian Harris and Najee Harris, it's 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 not as big of a deal. And I don't know, he's Alabama, so maybe he'll end up getting pushed up a little bit further than what some some people think too. But you're still assuming that no one's going to go in the first round. Oh, absolutely. And I I will take it a step further and say I think you should be betting on under 0.5 running backs to go in round one. And uh, this this number is anywhere from like minus one seventy five to minus two hundred. That is egregious. I will I will just say that is absolutely egregious. And I think it is driven primarily by the fact that uh, someone like Daniel Jeremiah, who I like, I have respect for him, like as a, an analyst and, and a mock drafter, uh, like he he is sharp, but he's you know got a big audience. And so when he puts someone like Brees Hall in his round one mock. I think books pay attention to that. You know, your general better uh, might pay attention to that and they, they bet on this more than they should. I will just say out of, you know, all of the other sharp mocks that I look at, almost no one is putting a running back in round one. So Jeremiah is really like standing on an island out there pretty much by himself, putting Brees Hall in, in the top 32. Now, I'm not sure about where he is. Is he, is he going to the Bills? Yes. Okay. So yeah. the whole no Bills number thing. 25. Yeah. Like the Bills are the only team that's probably been connected on there. And I like to think that the Bills are a smart organization. I'm not quite sure, honestly. They did take back to back third round running backs. They did, you know, make an offer for um why is his name escaping me now? The Washington running back, the the pass catching guy. Um, who was reneged on McKissick. Uh, McKissick, yeah, they did make that that case. So I guess I wouldn't put it past them. It would be such a like a, a luxury pick, awful sort of move that we would just have to all shake our heads for. But that ends up happening a little bit more often than uh, we, we we like to hear. But yeah, that that that's probably the only chance of him going in there. Too is there any, are there any like position groups or particular bets that I have not brought to your attention that you would that you want to talk about? Uh, let me take a, a quick look here. I mean, so, some of them are unsexy, so I, I won't mention them. Uh, I mean, quarterbacks, I'll just, I want to hit on this again, under three and a half. I really like that number minus 172 at FanDuel. Uh, I'm just, I'm, I'm skeptical, uh, that we see four guys go in the first round. Like, let's just remember mocks tend to be too high on quarterbacks. This is a bad quarterback class. Like, let's not lose sight of that. Like I tend to be a rookie optimist, but like I'm wide eyed enough to know that like this is a bad quarterback class, especially relative to what we've seen in recent years. And then just on top of that, or maybe we'll say setting that aside, uh, 76% of the sharp mocks are on under three and a half quarterbacks. So yeah, uh, yeah. I just, I think that's the right side. I'm getting, I'm getting some maybe like Drew Locke to Sean Kaiser vibes from some of these guys where there are reasons you could get excited, but then they end up falling to the middle of the second round and everyone's like, <laughs> yes. oh yeah, that was, that was the right thing. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So we have uh, the quarterbacks on here. Any other position groups? You know, I, I I try not to pay attention to anything but the skill players. I noticed you have well, actually, you know, one guy I want to talk about because he's just an interesting guy to talk about here is I notice you have Jahan Dotson over. You're over on a lot of these guys, so Jahan Dotson over thirty two and a half, and you also have George Pickens over thirty six and a half. I think Pickens has become a little bit of a darling even though despite the fact that maybe nerds like us don't like the fact that he hasn't done anything for three years. Um, 
And Dotson is like 170 pounds or something like that. So I don't quite necessarily get where he fits in, but maybe he can fit into a role that some teams have seen there. Well, why are you confident in those guys being second rounders? Well, I wouldn't say that I'm confident. It's just the probabilistic play based on the lines and the odds. Like I do think, so to put this in perspective, I do think that we see over five and a half wide receivers in round one. So if that happens, either Dotson or Christian Watson or George Pickens, one of those guys has to go in round one or setting aside Sky Moore, but one of those guys has to go. So Sky Moore is already in, in that, in that scenario. (laughs) No. No, he's no. Okay. We'll set, setting him aside, but okay. you know, so to go over five and a half, one of those guys will need to get all oh, right. So five I'm, and a half. Sorry. I thought you were saying six. So, go ahead. Yeah. Go ahead. So I'm admitting that there's a chance that Dotson goes in round one and there's a chance that Pickens goes in round one, but the odds are that they don't. Right. And so, uh, it's just, I'd say, you know, this is a simplistic way of looking at it, but we'll say like a 30% or 33% chance. We'll say 30%, 30% chance is Dotson. 30% chance it's Watson, 30% chance it's Pickens that goes in round one. Because I do think, again, we see six wide receivers in round one. And we'll say maybe a 10% chance it's Sky Moore. But, I mean, that's still just like a 30% chance that the guy goes in round one. So I think that means that there is value, like probabilistic value, on Dotson to go over, I think the number was 32 and a half, and for Pickens to go over 36 and a half. So it's not that like I feel massively confident that this guy won't go in round one because like I'm admitting there's a chance he does. But I think the odds are, especially Dotson over 32 and a half at plus money, plus 115, uh, that just feels like too much value, especially when he's in only uh, 40% of the sharps. So it's just that's that's a bet that I really like. Yeah, I mean, that one in particular, I like I me. Mean, I don't I just don't see why he's necessarily any better than of course everyone's gonna make the comparison to kj hamler coming out of the same place but why you necessarily would draft him any earlier and um we haven't really seen those guys those little tiny guys translate over to you know big production like first round receiver type of production um could definitely be part of part of an offense here and then you also have burks is one of your few unders on 23 and a half so is this fading the athleticism concerns just the way that the board ends up falling together here yeah i'm not really even thinking so much about the athleticism concerns and i'll say it took me a while to get on this bet because i was just trying to fight my inclination to push burks up the board because like i i will just admit i like him a lot yes but uh the mock draft data is supporting it you know i would say the the number is 23 and a half like are you kidding like i can get him going to the packers at number 22 like i'm not saying (laughs) that i'm not saying that that is like the worst case scenario for him but even in some mocks you will see the cardinals at number 23 taking a wide receiver so i even have a shot there for him to go off the board so this this number is uh i think egregious based on what i'm seeing in the mock draft data of course uh, it did uh, scare me a little bit when I saw that Traylon Burks wouldn't be attending the draft, which uh, is just like, oh, no, was he not invited to the draft? Because if that's the case, then I'm basically burning money right here. But uh, there's a chance that he was invited and just decided to stay home. That's what I'm hoping happened. Uh, but either way, the data that I'm looking at right now, that points me in the direction of going under Traylon Burks 23 and a half. Where do you think Burks would have gone if he just – said uh you know what i I pulled a hammy 
uh, before <laughs> before the drills, yeah. and I, I can't do any of them because London. He's I mean he's healthy enough to run his forty, and he never did. Yeah. So yeah. you you'd assume that means he's probably running like a like a four six or something, and nobody cares. That guy just keeps on moving up. Yeah, and I will say I was actually I mean it's like I was never one of the people who was thinking that he was going to run in the four threes or anything like that. Yes. Like just baseline, this is a dude who's two hundred twenty five pounds. We should expect if he's athletic for him to be in the four fives and just be happy that that's like a very good number. That's like a Mike Evans type of number. So I saw, I saw a four, five, four, five, five and thought like, all right, that's cool. Like he's, he's a legit athlete, but yeah, if he hadn't run, I would say, you know, 15 to the Eagles, like the Eagles would be a perfect landing spot for him. He would be the big bodied compliment next to Devonte Smith, maybe even higher, maybe uh, the commanders at eleven. You could see that, you know, but yeah, uh, I think running, he costs himself some money, but I still think he's going to be a very good NFL player. Why in God's name are like players like him and DK Metcalf doing the three cone? Like we don't need you to do the three cone. Well, like what, what is being accomplished here? Do you not have an agent? Do you not have a trainer? Have you never run this before? You know, I mean, Calvin Johnson didn't have to run a three cone to get drafted second overall. So I, yeah, again, I I don't understand what's going on here or why. Cause I've heard a couple of times people say Burks did not test like a good athlete. And I'm like, if you run a four, four, four or five, five at 225 pounds. I don't really care what your three cone time is. If you're six, four, six, three or whatever. Anyway, I'm a little bit annoyed by the, by that whole thing, but hopefully this is a way to cash in uh, on my annoyance where normally it, my annoyance is leading me to somewhere irrational. Um, yeah. I've got one more, one more sure. bet to close it out on okay, let's uh, do the it. number of the number of quarterbacks in round one over four and a half. Uh, I bet this this morning plus plus one thirty at Caesars. Uh, think of the the cornerbacks that are in this class who are basically a lock to go in the first round. You know, we mentioned Ahmad Gardner, Derek Stingley Jr. I'd say like virtual lock. And then Trent McDuffie, Andrew Booth, those guys I think have a very good shot. And then you have Kyer Alam. So between the three of those guys, uh, you know, you need to get them in there. I think there's a very good chance of that happening. And then that doesn't even take into account the outlier potential of Daxton Hill, uh, who is listed as a safety, but who potentially could be drafted as a cornerback because of what he can do in the slot. So if, if they announce him, like, again, that's a remote possibility, but it could happen. Even if that doesn't happen, I think you have a good chance of Booth, McDuffie and Alam all going in the, the top three. I'm oh, sorry, uh, to like after the top two to round it out and get it over five. And this also doesn't take into account Kyler Gordon, who is invited to the draft. Like he's not someone who is uh, routinely mocked in round one, but I think we're going to see him mocked more uh, in the next week because he's been invited to attend the draft. So, okay, you mentioned this draft invitation thing, so I just want to talk yeah. about that. Do we have any clue what the process is here for how for how they're doing it or not? Because you seem to think that it that it means something more than what you would get from some publicly available information. So I know you don't want to embarrass people by having them show up, but it, it's I mean, it does make for good television. Like when Matt Crowd does oh. not get drafted in the first round. Like he's already going to be on his notes app typing out something about how how no one believes in him and everything else. And I, I'm I'm here for it, quite honestly. Okay. 
I 100% agree with you. I, I love the drama, especially of the quarterbacks, watching yeah. the quarterbacks slip down the board. So yeah. maybe they are doing – I would I like say, to see someone I'm, just get, like, drunk. Someone just get wasted during, yeah. as, as all the picks are going by. That would be so awesome, but they probably don't allow that. Go ahead. So, so two things. One, I have done a little bit of digging to, uh, to try to get information uh, on the process. Like, who is it who's determining this? Is it someone in marketing? What, what process are they using to make the determinations? Are they just looking at Daniel Jeremiah's mock draft and then deciding, <laughs> okay, we'll, we'll invite the people in this mock? You know, so what is the, I have done some digging. I don't want to talk about that anymore, but I have done some digging. Oh, and then out, cryptic. And then you, have outside, to get, you have to subscribe to Matt's uh, uh, Substack to get, to get that information. <laughs> yeah, Substack, which I just created right now. Um, <laughs> so that's number one. Uh, number two, even if you don't do any digging, you can just look at the rates uh, that certain guys have, you know, like if a guy's in the top 10 in mock drafts and he's been invited, like how often does he go in round one? You know, if he's in the bottom 10 and he's invited, uh, how often does he go in round one? So like you can, you know, bucket, you could do, you know, more, uh, you know, you're, you're the data scientist. You could do more sophisticated ways of kind of correlating guys in round one and their expected draft position with the fact that they've attended the combine. So you can do some of that and start to get kind of rates about, you know, like if this guy is invited historically, what has that meant for his probabilistic odds to be drafted on day one? So, you know, I've done some of that work. Uh, moron that I am. I'm sure it's not sophisticated, but it's good enough for me to think that it's actionable. Yeah, I think that's that's actually a, kind of like a key point that you're mentioning. Like, you don't want to spend too much time on the, the on the sophistication as opposed to knowing what you're researching. So I have to say that's next level. That's next level, my friend. Because well, you, if you want to go next next level, you have to figure out like when they add the few names at the bottom because some people who were invited didn't come. So then they're adding those names at the bottom. If you can get that for me, then, you know, then that sub stack will just be, just be blowing up. Um, is there anything you want to plug before, before we get out of here uh, other than your, your new sub stack that we just founded on this, on this episode? <laughs> yeah. Anything to plug? Uh, yeah. Uh, fantasy pros, betting pros. We've got the, the dynasty draft kit that we launched a couple of weeks ago. We're continuing to add to it. And then of course, after the draft, there will be, the furious update that weekend to get all of our rookie rankings, dynasty rankings, all of our projections updated uh, for the people who are going to be doing their dynasty uh, drafts and rookie drafts. And then also at betting pros, you know, putting out all of the draft content there uh, with the prop betting uh, discord, subscribe to our discord where I put all of the bets first before writing them up. So there is uh, literally a tangible benefit to being a part of the discord community there. Yeah, no, that that's almost like a necessity in some ways. I could see like writing something up and then it changing and then it gets published and then the timestamps yeah. and then trying to figure out when someone actually sees it, uh, all of that going through there. So that that's excellent. Um, great work, my friend. As anyone who's listening can tell, he's in it to to uh maybe somewhat disturbing degree he's he's in he's in these draft streets um follow him on twitter at matt f the oracle the oracle i i it's still one of my favorite uh probably one of the best nicknames like low-key best nicknames in the fantasy space uh i appreciate you joining me again and continued success and the next time you come on next year you'll be you'll be working for someone else probably um anyone who's listening here go ahead rate and review the pod uh tune in next week i'll have a couple more pre-draft type of episodes otherwise i'll be talking to everyone then thanks again matt